The show you love with even more local news and more local talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. It is Monday and we are live and local here on the Mike Douglas Show. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, trust those of you who are dads or granddads or great-granddads, uncles, etc. I had a wonderful Father's Day uh, celebration uh, yesterday. One of the books, by the way, that I received, and I, as you know, I'm a great advocate of reading as, as much as we can. And, of course, I don't have a lot of spare time, unfortunately, due to all the hats that we wear around here, but a very interesting book. And I just got it yesterday for Father's Day from uh, my uh, my adult children. and just started it, but I, I'm very intrigued by it. just want to mention it to you in case it piques your interest or not. It came out just uh, oh, uh, last month, I think, in, in May 2022. It's by Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson. And it's called Created Equal... The Painful Past, the Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America. And a little bit later on today, I'll, uh, I'll provide you with a few uh, nuggets of wisdom, I believe, from uh, the first chapter or two from that book. Looking forward to making my way entirely through it. Again, I, uh, so far, I can highly recommend it. Again, the book is called Created Equal. The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America by Dr. Ben Carson. All right, my friends. Well, one of the greatest presidents of all time, in in our opinion, is Abraham Lincoln. And on this 20th of June, following the 19th of June, June 19th, we want to bypass the revisionist histories of our time and really find out how President Lincoln truly influenced the future of our United States of America. And to do that, we're going to employ the miracles of technology and the dimension of time itself to go right to the source, to Abraham Lincoln himself. So from the 31st state of the Union, California, Mr. President Abraham Lincoln, welcome to the Mike Douglas Show. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to join you, and we're so glad to have you in the Union. Yes, well, and, and we're, we're privileged to, uh, to be so as, as the 31st state. Uh, Mr. President, uh, as, as we look at where we are today, the 13th Amendment plays so much into our history and into your history can you give us uh, your impressions, your thoughts about the Emancipation Proclamation and then the 13th Amendment and what you went through in terms of your thinking about America and how these principles guided you as you attempted to guide our nation? Well, certainly. I'd be very happy to share with you on that. And just a little bit of history. You need to remember, of course, we I became president and the new Republican Party, and our policy was uh, not to do anything about slavery in the South and the states that already existed, because we couldn't do that. The Constitution protected slavery, but, but we would fight against slavery spreading to new areas of the country, to the West, even to the North. 
And so once I was elected, of course, some of the states in the South decided they didn't really want me to be their president and thought they'd just secede, you know, and form their own new country. And, well, eventually then the, the Civil War began, and at the beginning I, I kept to that. I, I can't do anything about slavery in the South, what already exists, but, you know, we, we, can, we can fight against its extension. But then, of course, the, the war, you know, the rebellion, it's going on for about a year, and, and that's when I realized that, well, the fact that there are slaves in the South is helping the South in their rebellion. So that does give me authority, after all, to do something. And that's when I came up with the Emancipation Proclamation. It was a war measure. It'd be like today what you call, a, well, an executive order. And, and I said, basically, that I, I gave the South one last chance, you remember. I issued it in a preliminary version first, September 22nd, 1862. And I said, you got 100 days till January 1st. And if you come back into the Union before January 1st, well, it'll be just like it was before. I mean, they could even keep their slaves. That's what the Constitution still said. But I said, if you don't, well, then I'm going to declare on January 1st, 1863, that your slaves are free. Well, of course, none of them accepted my offer, and so it became effective on January 1st, 1863. Now, practically speaking, it didn't free many slaves that first day. Remember, it only applied to areas in rebellion didn't even apply to the border states. Those states were still loyal. But it meant as the army was able to gain control of new areas, the slaves were, were liberated. And some of them even joined the army later themselves, fought for their own freedom. And it meant, very important, the war is now no longer just about preserving the Union as it was. It's now also about giving freedom to the slaves. Well, of course, you know, as I said before, though, that's a war measure. And fast forward a couple of years, the war is starting to come to an end, it looks like, 1865, and, and I'm kind of concerned, you see, because it being a war measure, it means it's temporary. It means when the war is over, it won't apply anymore. It might mean that a future president or the future Supreme Court could overturn the Emancipation Proclamation, and you need to remember, there are a lot of people against it. A Supreme Court Chief Justice Roger Tawney, well, he was against it. Many other people were against it. And so we said we really need a more permanent solution. You see, as I said, it's like an executive order. <laughs> you can't imagine a situation where one president issues orders and next one comes in behind and just undoes them, but it could happen, you see. <laughs> so we need to get the 13th Amendment passed. That will permanently abolish slavery and involuntary servitude from the whole country forever. And it was a very difficult fight. Uh, we had it in the Senate. It was in the House of Representatives where we were a little bit short, it looked like, for a while. And eventually we convinced enough to come over and, and vote for it. And on January 31st, 1865, the historic day arrived, and the U.S. House of Representatives passed the 13th Amendment by just a couple of votes. Now, of course, now it's got to go out to the states for ratification, and we need three-quarters of the states to ratify it. By that time, there's 36 states. you got Nevada in now. Right, we've got 36 states, which means we need 27 to ratify it. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful by the end of 1865 we might get there. That'll be a glorious day, 1865, yeah. So uh, that's just a little bit about, about that. Mr. Lincoln, uh, let's talk a little bit about how you process through all of this. You've got political things to worry about. You have uh, two points of view, at least, uh, in opposite uh, polls. You have the moral and ethical issues. How did you process through all of that? What, what helped guide you through your thoughts as you began to uh, form your plan for the future? 
Well, yes, you're correct. There are all kinds of different factors relating in there, and, and uh, politically, as you mentioned, uh, moral issues, even just uh, what's feasible and so on. Uh, well, of course, at the beginning of the war, I mean, personally, I was always opposed to slavery. As a young boy growing up in Kentucky, which was a slave state, I was opposed to slavery. I'd always been opposed to slavery. I said, if slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. That was always my personal view throughout my entire life. But politically, of course, you know, there's, there's a president or a Congress or any elected official is constrained. He's constrained by the political reality. He's, he's constrained by the laws. He's constrained by social, excuse me, by public opinion. He can't just do everything he wants to do. If public opinion is against him, well, he's not going to get anywhere. So in the case of, of slavery, I was always morally opposed to it, but politically, even when I was elected president, you know, I, I said, as I said already, we can't do anything about slavery in the South where it already exists, but we will fight against it where we can. And so as time went on, well, it just happened that circumstances, the rebellion and the political situation and public opinion all gradually shifted such that we were able to, to push more and more toward emancipation. But even in, for example, 1862, 1862, when I was getting ready to issue my preliminary proclamation, Horace Greeley, you might remember him, you know, he's the one who said, go west, young man. Yes. I'll be helping you out there in California a bit. Anyway, Horace Greeley printed a, a letter in his newspaper, the New York Tribune, in which he, he questioned why I hadn't acted yet on emancipation. He said, you're moving too slowly. Well, it's fine for him to write a public letter, isn't it? Well, I responded with a public letter on my own, and he published it in his paper, and I said, the course that I'm taking, well, actually, I should probably find this to you and read it to you, because it's a very important letter, I think. I said this, as to the policy I seem to be pursuing, as you say, I've not meant to leave anyone in doubt. I would save the Union. I would save it the shortest way under the Constitution. The sooner the national authority can be restored, the nearer the Union will be, the Union as it was. If there be those who would not save the Union unless they could at the same time save slavery, I do not agree with them. If there be those who would not save the Union unless they could at the same time destroy slavery, I do not agree with them. My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union, not either to save or destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. If I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do it. Now, in this letter, I'm very, very sorry to say, I understand is today quoted out of context in order to, to try to show that I didn't care about the slaves. They conveniently forget to quote my concluding statement, which is this. I have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty. I intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. Now, Amen. We're, about this letter to Greeley. Yeah. we're speaking with uh, President Abraham Lincoln, and of course the context is the Civil War. Let me uh, bring us out of the time warp here for the moment, and uh, the expert we're talking to is actually Kevin Wood, and Kevin is one of the premier experts on Abraham Lincoln, and uh, Kevin, you do just an outstanding job of bringing history to life. We have just a few minutes left. Can you give us your perspective on the relationship between Abraham 
Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and and how that relationship helped form things that happened a little bit later in our history. Well, yes, Frederick Douglass, very, very important figure in my time. And I had the opportunity. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry, am I, I'm Kevin Wood now, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Did you... <laughs> I, actually, I, I misplaced it. Am I Lincoln or am I Kevin? You, you are Mr. Wood now, yes. We've exited the time okay, warp. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I can drop my voice then. <clears throat> uh, Frederick Douglass came to Washington, D.C. in 1863. Uh, he and Lincoln had never met before. And uh, Douglass had criticized Lincoln already at that point. He thought that Lincoln was moving too slowly on emancipation, and he also was opposed to Lincoln's support of colonization, things like that. So Lincoln welcomed this opportunity. When, when Douglass came to Washington, he, he actually came because he was, uh, he was critical of the fact that the, the black soldiers now fighting for the, for, in the Civil War were receiving $3 less per month than the white soldiers were. And so he came to see Lincoln to say he's not going to recruit any more soldiers till they fix that. And so uh, Lincoln said, I, I agree with you. We're going to get Congress to change that. Uh, but he and Douglas had a very interesting meeting and came to know each other much better and to understand each other better. And, and Lincoln explained to him why, how he was constrained by the Constitution, by public opinion. There was a difference often between what he should like to do personally, what he was permitted to do in his capacity as president. And, and that was the base, beginning of the basis of the relationship. And Douglas later was quoted as, as saying that although he was not entirely satisfied with Lincoln's views, he was so satisfied with the man that he determined to go on with the recruiting. And Lincoln, and he also said that he, he saw in Lincoln a man who did not condescend in any way. He didn't treat him any differently for being a black man. And other black Americans who met Lincoln had the same testimony about him throughout his life. Lincoln, in turn, called Douglas his friend. And he said that, you know, basically, here, here's a man who had overcome so much more than Lincoln ever had, and yet was clearly his equal, uh, his equal even his superior in so many ways, in terms of his, his intelligence, his courage, his moral character, his speaking ability. And so that was the basis for their relationship, I think, a, a mutual respect, a mutual understanding of each other. Now, coming from very different backgrounds, but still having commonalities. They're both self-made men, we might say, self-made men. And they're both, both had overcome so much to arrive where they had arrived. Thank you again. We're talking with Kevin Wood. Uh, he is probably one of the most, uh, I would say, influential figures we have today in terms of the history of Abraham Lincoln. And as you've heard uh, earlier, also does a wonderful job in portraying Abraham Lincoln as well. Uh, Mr. Wood, if we can hold you uh, just for a second, we're going to take a brief uh, time out here. We'll come right sure. back to you. And uh, just a reminder, friends, home prices are going up, inventories low, interest rate hikes mean fluctuations. Selling your home now with an aggressive, experienced agent may be the right move to maximize your equity. Hey, do you have a growing family working from home and you need more space? Well, call the agent I trust and recommend. Call Dan Phipps. Dan's proprietary marketing system guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours for full market value, or he'll sell it for free. His home selling program, it's designed to maximize your sales price. You're in complete control. No costly repairs are Required and no long-term contracts. Love that. So you can also pick your move date, and Dan can even help you find a new home before you move. 
Melody in Oakdale knows all about it. She needed to sell quickly, but her home needed a bunch of repairs and upgrades to get a decent price. But she didn't have the time nor the money. Melody called Dan Phipps, who said, no problem, we can do it. And he did. Dan got multiple offers and sold for much higher than Melody could have imagined. So call Dan Phipps. Dan is the man I'd recommend. I'd hired him to sell my own home. He's the only agent. Guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours or it's sold free. Call Dan Phipps. 209-593-1111 or go to danphipps.com. That's Dan Phipps with three P's, D-A-N-P-H-I-P-P-S.com. And do you have a question for Mr. Lincoln? 209-551-3483, our number 209-551-3483. We'll be back with Mr. Lincoln and Kevin Wood in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A pastor with passion, a minister with manners. Now, back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we have uh, the unique opportunity to talk with Abraham Lincoln with the uh, assistance of Kevin Wood. And uh, if we can continue the conversation absolutely fascinating uh, to study the history here. And in thinking about Abraham Lincoln, what do you think are one or two of the most misunderstood things about Mr. Lincoln? Uh, all right, this is this is for me again, right? This is for Kevin. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I think people... I, you know, I, I as I go around portraying Lincoln, I'm I'm I hear all sorts of things about Lincoln. You know, I, I hear that I have school kids ask me, uh, if, if you were against slavery, why did you own slaves? Mm. And I'm thinking, who's teaching the kids today that Abraham Lincoln owned slaves? You know, Lincoln never owned a slave. Uh, if you if you if you're very very creative in taking history out of context, um, you know, Lincoln one time. Uh, there was a, a, a black man from Springfield, Illinois, who had been kidnapped and taken south, and Lincoln helped to raise money to buy his freedom. You know, I think some people t- take that to, to say that Lincoln owned a slave. So, you know, as we all know, you can't believe everything you read. At the same time, I have people who claim that, that Lincoln was black. Um, there are people out there who believe that Lincoln actually had African, um, not descendants, the other word, um, yeah, his, his, he had come from from African stock, uh, so there's a lot of obviously a lot of misunderstandings about Lincoln, but also his motives. You know what what motivated him, the idea that he, you know, was only motivated by political uh, reasons and not by moral or religious uh, questions uh, or just just you know ethical things. So there's, I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding, and, and probably it's influenced by you know our own times uh, cynicism <laughs> to politics and politicians because we know what we know what most of them are like. Um, and Lincoln was different. Lincoln was was notably different, and, and that's what people noted in his own time, and that's what I think why people today still respect and, and esteem him because he was different than than the typical politician. As we uh, as we conclude, we have about a minute or two left. Your perspectives on Vice President Andrew Johnson? What about him? Was uh, was was he loyal? How did he figure into the grand scheme of where you saw history going? 
Well, Johnson, we need to remember. Um, actually, here, I'll go back to Lincoln here. <laughs> Talk about Andrew Johnson. Now, remember, the reason that we named him vice president the second time around, 1864, the, the, the gentleman the first term was fine, Hannibal Hamlet from Maine, but the second time around, we did not call ourselves the Republican Party. We changed the name of the party, called it the National Union Party, because we want to bring the country back together again. We want to invite the Democrats who favor finishing off the war to join us. And what better way than by naming a Democrat and a Southern Democrat at that as the vice president? And that would be Andrew Johnson of Tennessee. He was the only one of the 22 senators from the 11 Confederate states who had remained loyal to the Union. So it's kind of his reward, you see. Now, the issue with Johnson, of course, is that, uh, you know, he, he's got maybe what you call today racist views on things. So, so he and I don't necessarily agree on, uh, on that. But you know, we're really not expecting him to have to do anything. Vice President really doesn't do much. Uh, he's just kind of there just in case, you see. And, um, but the thing is with, with, with Johnson is, uh, you know, uh, once we do finish off the war, then we've got to go to Reconstruction, as we called it, uh, putting the country back together again. And, and I'm just kind of concerned that, you know, maybe he'll just butt heads with, with Congress and that. You know, I never liked having enemies. In fact, I once said the best way to destroy my enemy is to make him my friend. Absolutely, and we'll we'll continue our conversation with Abraham Lincoln here in five minutes. You're listening to a unique conversation with Abraham Lincoln here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We'll be back with your questions, 209-551-3483. What's your question for Mr. Lincoln? We'll be right back. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. He's got issues. Let's talk about it. The Mike Douglas Show, on air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this fine Monday afternoon in California's Central Valley. So happy you're here with us. And also happy to have with us, uh, through the assistance of Mr. Kevin Wood, we have President Abraham Lincoln on the line. And if you have a question about Mr. Lincoln, for Mr. Lincoln, about his wonderful ability to reason. Uh, and we talked about his relationship with Frederick Douglass to look at opposing opinions, to consider the views of the North, the South, all of this coming together, just a very complex man worthy of getting to know better. And we offer you that opportunity now at 209-551-3483, our number here, if you have a question for Abraham Lincoln, 209 three four eight three uh mr lincoln as we look at your life uh, your, your life was filled with challenges and it, it seems like it took a lot of perseverance uh, a lot of the uh, the ability to work through challenges to to keep uh, to keep focus talk a little bit about what it took for you to press through many of those challenges you faced especially as it uh, even related to family dynamics well yes of course you you probably heard all the stories and growing up on the frontier the american frontier state of kentucky born in a log cabin, not being able to go to school much. You know, all told, I only had about a year of formal schooling. Went to about five different schools, a couple months each time. 
So most of my learning was through was through myself learning, through getting books and, and studying those books. And my whole life long, it was that way. Even as a young man, I wanted to do a new job, I I'd get a book about it, or I'd go talk to somebody who knew about it. That's how I learned things. Even when I was president, <clears throat> excuse me, still did that. So uh, <clears throat> as far as overcoming, though, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people in this country, of course, face very similar obstacles. And so I wasn't unique in terms of what I faced. Uh, perhaps I was a, a bit unique in, in, in being able to overcome some of them. But I just always had this feeling that, that by applying myself, by studying hard, by working hard, that I might be able to accomplish much in this life. You know, Years later, when I had become a lawyer, and that's a kind of difficult sort of thing to become when you've only had a year of school. But I became a lawyer through self-study. And then I have young men write to me because they want to become lawyers too. And they were asking advice, you see, counsel. They're always kind of looking for shortcuts. And I'd write letters back to the young man. I'd say, work, work, work. That's what it takes. I said, get the books and study them. I said, it doesn't matter where you live. You don't have to live in a big city. I lived in New Salem, never had more than 300 people in it. I said, your book, the books and your capacity for understanding them are the same in all places. And then I'd say things like this. Uh, never never forget that your your own resolution to succeed is the most important thing. I think that goes for pretty much anything in this life. Your own resolution to succeed is more important than any one thing. And I suppose even when I was president, I still carried over some of these thoughts because we faced very difficult problems when I was president. That and, of course, a, a faith, some sort of faith that, it, not, despite not understanding why we'd come to this point as a nation and why we were so divided and why this terrible war had come, still I had this faith that somewhere, somehow, God was still looking out over this country somehow, and, and he had placed me in this position, and I, I hoped to be an instrument in his hands. I said, even though I didn't understand why or, or what was really going on, I had this faith, this trust, that still somehow in the end it would all work out. Did the obstacles that that faced you, and if t- to say obstacles that faced you really probably minimizes the situation, did the obstacles that that face you defeat you at all, or did you just feel, as as you said before, uh, hinted at that maybe God had just placed you at this point in time for such a time as this? Well, there were certainly times when I when I, I did not understand, uh, and there were times when I, I when I worried is not strong enough a word when i uh, i wondered and i i thought that maybe i had been mistaken that maybe this was the end for our nation that we would be divided into separate nations and who knows what would come in the future after that so i don't want to say that i always had this this positive view that everything was going to work out because uh, there were certainly times moments moments after hearing the news of another terrible loss on the battlefield or a political loss, that, that it seemed like like it wasn't going to happen. But still, I guess somewhere way deep down, deep down there was always that, that faith, that spark that told me that, well, we just got to keep going and, and trust that, that, that God would see us through this somehow. Our number here, 209-551-3483. And with the assistance of Kevin Wood, we can take your questions for President Abraham Lincoln. Again, our number here, 209-551-3483. Let's go to uh, Modesto and Carl, your question for the president. Hi, um, Mr. Lincoln. I would really like to know why in the Emancipation Proclamation 
you excluded two small territories from uh, eliminating all slavery. Uh, do you have a number of slaves that were in that area? And what was the reasoning for that? What kind of political pressure was being put on you to exclude them? All right, well, that's a very good question. Uh, this is something that's misunderstood today. The, the, the Emancipation Proclamation was very, very specific into what areas it would apply to, and, and that's mostly because it's a legal document. You know, it's not like my, my Gettysburg Address, which is a, more of a, a political speech and very inspirational, I think. But the, the Emancipation Proclamation is a, is a legal document. It has to stand up to legal scrutiny because, as we said, a lot of people were against it. The, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court already thought it was unconstitutional. So in, in doing it, we had to, I, I had said in, in my preliminary proclamation, it would only apply to areas in rebellion. So states and parts of states, I said. So by January 1st, 1863, first of all, we're gonna, we have to exclude the four border states. Those, those states were still loyal to the Union. So Kentucky, Missouri, Maryland, and Delaware are automatically excluded from the Emancipation Proclamation. I should note, by the way, we were working at the same time to get those four states to voluntarily abolish slavery, something Maryland would do in November of 1864, Missouri in January 1865. But beyond that, it did exclude other areas. It excluded all of Tennessee, and this is mostly because we had pretty good control of Tennessee at that point. Now, we didn't have complete control of Tennessee, so some people say today it was probably kind of a uh, uh, an offering to Andrew Johnson. Uh, you know, Andrew Johnson was military governor of Tennessee, and, and, and he, was, he wasn't really all that in favor of, of emancipation. As we've already discussed, he, his views were a little different from mine on, on this. So uh, maybe it was um, kind of an, an offering to, to Andrew Johnson that, okay, we'll exclude all of Tennessee. And then we also excluded uh, the portions of Virginia, the western counties of Virginia, which were in the process at that point of becoming a new state of West Virginia. Now that, of course, was also very controversial. How can we make a new state out of an old state without that old state's permission? Virginia was not in favor of it, but I believe that, that we had the authority because of the rebellion. It all goes back to the rebellion. The rebellion gave us the opportunity to do some things that we couldn't have done otherwise. So we excluded all the western counties of Virginia, the area that later became essentially West Virginia. We also excluded the areas around Norfolk, because that was under Union control. And down in Tennessee, excuse me, down in Louisiana, we excluded the, the areas around New Orleans, all the parishes down around there, because, again, we controlled those areas. So they were no longer in rebellion. Remember, the, the proclamation is only going to apply to areas in rebellion. That's the only way legally it can stand up. And so we had to exclude any areas in the South that were no longer in rebellion, and that included any areas under Union control. So I hope that helps to explain why certain areas were excluded from the proclamation. Very good question. Carl, thank you so much. Thank appreciate you. your question. Uh, our number here, 209-551-3483. An extraordinary opportunity to speak with President Abraham Lincoln. And uh, when we come back, uh, Mr. Lincoln, I want to talk about the, the language of the 13th Amendment. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Interesting clause there. We're going to talk about that in three minutes as the Mike Douglas Show comes back with President Abraham Lincoln in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. 
with the big news of the day, here's more of the Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. And today, an extraordinary opportunity with the help of Mr. Kevin Wood to talk to Abraham Lincoln about his perspectives on how he handled uh, the Civil War, the issues involved, the the various uh, perspectives of the states involved, and his own personal journey. We even talked about his relationship uh, with Frederick Douglass and how that helped uh, form his perspectives on what he would have to do. Uh, so for Abraham Lincoln, Mr. President, I want to ask you about the 13th Amendment. Very interesting wording here. Neither slavely, uh, slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Can you help us understand a little bit that exception, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. Well, yes, although certainly we should mention, first of all, that uh, the involuntary servitude part, because some people don't understand that, uh, we understand where the slaves came from and what the slaves were, uh, come from Africa, but the uh, involuntary servitude, that refers to the fact that many white Europeans also were brought to America during the 17th, 18th centuries as, as, as indentured servants. That is, that they, they had a debt to pay, and as a way to pay off the debt, they agreed to be transported across the ocean to America, where they would then be contracted to work for a certain number of years to pay off that debt. And it could be a number of years. So in a sense, it's really slavery by another name. And again, it's not, maybe not quite as, as horrendous as the institution of slavery. It wasn't chattel slavery. You know, your, your children wouldn't be born into it. But still, it was a, a form of slavery. And, and this was applied, as we said, to, to white Europeans uh, who come over, you know, from, from different countries of, of Europe. But why the exception clause? Well, I think, I think it's fairly simple that, uh, of course, we have, we have laws in our country, and we have a penal system, and people who are punished for a crime, you know, have to, have to pay some sort of punishment. And that punishment often is imprisonment. And that imprisonment may in turn involve uh, requiring the prisoners to work in some way, to labor uh, for the benefit of society, in a, in a sense to, to repay their debt to society. And so the exception clause, I believe, was included with the 13th Amendment so that people wouldn't say, well, <laughs> 13th Amendment says you can't have prisons anymore. You can't, have, you can't punish people for crimes by locking them up because that's, that's basically taking away their freedom. That's just another form of slavery. They might say that. So that's, I think that's why the exception clause, as you call it, was, was placed in the, in the amendment, uh, to be sure that we didn't confuse two different, uh, two different things. Again, my friends, we have the extraordinary opportunity with the help of Mr. Kevin Wood to talk with Abraham Lincoln today. Our phone number here, 209-551-3483. Do you have a question for Abraham Lincoln? 209-551-3483. Our number, you mentioned uh, indentured servants, and of course, uh, that again, that, that was really a, a form of slavery as, as uh, that brought many Europeans to the United States uh, as well. Uh, Mr. Lincoln, let's let's talk about something that is uh, of, of great importance, and it seems to be a flashpoint today, and it's called reparations. Uh, any 
idea of, of your perspective on reparations for those who were slaves and then freed? Oh, well, that's a very interesting question. And I, I guess if I'm answering this as Mr. Lincoln, I, I'm somewhat limited in my, my answer. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say this, that in my second inaugural address, which is a very, very interesting speech, and if you're not familiar with it, I'd, I'd encourage your listeners to, to look into it. Um, the second inaugural address came on March 4, 1865. The war's nearing an end. It's pretty clear now. The North are going to win the war. The Union will be preserved. Uh, we'll, we'll, slaves will be freed, too. And so I suppose the people were really expecting a, a victory speech. But I decided to give them something very different. I gave them the what do you call today the second inaugural address, where I made the case that the Civil War was actually a punishment by God on this nation for the offense of slavery. Among other things, I said this. I said, uh, if God wills that the war continue until all the wealth piled by the bondman's 250 years of unreported toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid with another drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now that last phrase is a, is a, a citation from, from the book of Psalms. But, in fact, if you read the whole Second Inaugural Address, you'll find there's four references to Scripture in there. It's really more of a theological treatise than it is a, a, a political speech. But I made the case in that that the war was our punishment as a nation. Here we are, this wonderful nation dedicated to liberty and equality, and yet we had allowed an entire race of human beings to be made slaves, something we never would have wished for ourselves. In essence, it's a violation of what we call the golden rule, isn't it? You know, treat other people the same way we would want to be treated ourselves. And we had done just the opposite with that. And so I viewed, if you read the second inaugural address, I think you'll conclude that I felt that the war was, in essence, reparations. That this is our punishment uh, for having allowed slavery. Now, I guess your further question might be for me, well, was that enough? <laughs> uh, I think certainly people of my time, would have felt that it was enough, uh, over 600,000 soldiers dead, uh, to pay for the sin of slavery, or the offense of slavery, as I called it in that statement. But, you know, perhaps in, in the years since my time, there have been other injustices uh, committed against uh, the descendants of, of African people in this nation, or, or, or even from other places. And, and perhaps if that's the case, then, then maybe further reparations that might be something to consider, but that would be entirely uh, something for you today to, to figure out, I suppose. I don't think I want to uh, venture into that one. We're talking with Abraham Lincoln, courtesy of Mr. Kevin Wood, and uh, let, let's step out of the time warp just for a second and address uh, Kevin Wood, if we uh, could. Kevin, you have such an incredible understanding of Abraham Lincoln. Tell us what was involved for you in understanding the man and what you needed to do to be able to get inside of his head, absorb all the history. What were some of your greatest challenges there? Well, yes, uh, I have been doing this now for uh, about 22 years, uh, off and on. Uh, for most of those years, about the first 16 years, I'd say, it was, it was just a hobby. It was just something I did on the side. I, I, I did, I'd do it for churches, or for schools. I'd do parades, that sort of thing. But about six years ago, I decided to make this my full-time profession. And when I did that, of course, I, 
you know, I, I knew I had to kind of up, up the game, if you will, uh, because I would now be doing um, presentations in, in, in new areas, for example, in, in, to, for adult audiences, for libraries, for schools, uh, for, excuse me, for senior residences, et cetera. And, you know, I was starting and, and open it up for questions. Uh, question, <laughs> Q&A is a very... Uh, interesting thing to do because uh, you really need to know your 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 material to do q and a uh to do it well i should say um we can always we can always beg off an occasional question that we don't know the answer to but you, you don't want to do that too often uh so i just basically embarked on a very intense period of of additional study i already knew quite a bit at that point but i i i did what lincoln did i got books and I got other materials to learn. Of course, we have so much more today. We have the Internet. We have uh, other ways to learn things. But, you know, just back in Lincoln's day, you need to be discerning, right? <laughs> Not everything we read is going to be 100% correct. And so for me in particular, you know, is trying to go back to what we call primary sources, or what a, a historian would call primary sources. That's yes. the, the actual original documents. So, for example, if we're talking about the Constitution, it means we read the Constitution itself. It means we read the debates in the, you know, in the convention that framed the Constitution. Uh, we don't go by what somebody 150 years later said about the Constitution. We go back to, to you know, the original. And the same thing with Lincoln. You know, it's going back, it's reading his actual letters, it's reading his speeches, it's reading... Uh, trying to get to those those primary sources because that's got to be the the basis, and then we add on to that. Then there's other layers. You know, there's what other people said about him. There's what other people have written about him. But the closer you can get back to the original time frame, I think the the more likely you are to get you know to the original animal, if you will. And, uh, and you know, Lincoln is a complex figure, so it's not it wasn't necessarily an easy process. It, it and it's still today. I'm still learning today. You know, I I, I don't doubt that. Place. Absolutely. By the way, friends, uh, I encourage you to look at the website, MrLincoln.com, MrLincoln.com. Absolutely incredible website, a wealth of information. Uh, Kevin Wood, you are as outstanding and, and just astounding, really, in your research and your ability to capture the essence of Abraham Lincoln. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm going to ask you to stay on hold, if you would. Producer Mike would like to talk to you sure. just for a second. Again, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today with Mr. Lincoln. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, Mike Douglas Show back in five minutes on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The show you love with even more local news and more local talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's and your host, Mike Douglas. Well, welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Monday afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation. And we have had a wonderful first hour as we talked to uh, Mr. Kevin Wood, who helped us talk to Abraham Lincoln. And just a fantastic conversation. Mr. Wood has just done so much in terms of research, and I really appreciated what he said about looking at original documents. We read so, we, we short circuit and short shrift ourselves, I believe, 
so much in today's society. We, we read about things, and when we read about things from other people, we get their filters, we get their perspectives. But it's so important to read the original autographs, as they're called, the, the original documents, to actually read the words of Lincoln, to read the words of Washington, to read the words of Jefferson, instead of just reading those who have decided to tell us what their opinions are about them. Very, very interesting conversation, and I'm, uh, I'm so impressed by Kevin Wood and, and his uh, ability to assimilate uh, from autographed sources the, the essence of Abraham Lincoln. And again, if you'd like to explore that a little bit further, his website is Mr. Lincoln, that's mrlincoln.com. Mr. Lincoln, mrlincoln.com. Fantastic source of uh, information and also his, uh, his perspectives on Juneteenth as well and the uh, history behind that. So again, our thanks to Kevin Wood and President Abraham Lincoln for uh, spending the first hour with us. I, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Fantastic. In fact, I'm going to go back and listen to it uh, because there was so much involved in there and, he, and uh, Mr. Wood had such a good grasp of the essence of Abraham Lincoln. I want to review that, make sure I caught all of the uh, dynamics. Well, as you know, Dynamics always going on up in Sacramento. Let me just uh, make this note. Uh, Republican leader James Gallagher uh, from Yuba City there has issued the following statement as uh, Democrats in uh, the legislature up in Sacramento are uh, investigating high gas prices. (sighs) How much time an investigation is needed? The... Anyway, here's Mr. Gallagher's statement. The price of gas has been crushing family budgets for months. If Capitol Democrats were really doing everything in their power to lower gas prices, they would support our call to suspend the gas tax and halt the scheduled July 1st increase. Californians don't need another dead-end study. They need relief now. Amen to that. And if we ever get uh, Abraham Lincoln back on uh, back on the show at some point, it'd be interested to get interesting to get his perspectives on confiscatory taxation, especially as it uh, has evolved in the 31st state of uh, of California, the Golden State. Uh, so anyway, I what investigation is needed? We, we know why gas prices are so high, and it's a combination of state and federal public policies. You go back uh, to the end of the whatever you thought of Donald Trump, look at what the gas prices were uh, at the end of his term, what they are now, and the executive orders and the decisions made both in Washington, D.C. and Sacramento, California, especially as it applies to gas and oil the fossil fuel industry, it becomes very, very clear very quickly what has happened and what needs to be done uh, to rectify the situation. And so this this business that we're going to investigate, why gas, I know what's going to happen. I know, Don't you know what, what, what do you think is going to happen with this investigation? I know it's a rhetorical question, perhaps. 209-551-3483. What do you think that the supermajority 
in Sacramento will decide is the cause of high gas prices. What do you think? 209-551-3483. I'll let that uh, percolate out there for you uh, for a couple of minutes. I mentioned before, uh, for Father's Day, I was uh, given a book uh, by my, my children that I'm just starting to read. Just started last night at about 2 o'clock in the morning. I was starting to nod off, and so I'm going to have to pick it up uh, later. But it's by uh, Dr. Ben Carson, a man that I, I highly respect. And the name of the book just came out in May, just uh, not too long ago. Uh, it is called Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and hopeful future of race in America. And I'm, I'm looking forward to moving through this as I've, I've just, in fact, looking at, uh, at some of the chapter headings. No one is born a racist, how we look at race, the history of slavery and racism in America, guilt and victimhood surrounding race, critical race theory and the 1619 Project, the George Floyd turning point, media, big tech. Does systemic racism exist in America? Judeo-Christian values and racism. Is it racism or classism? Education, the great equalizer. And then uh, chapter 12 is the path forward. Again, I'm looking very much to uh, working through all of that. Let me just share a couple of nuggets that I, uh, that I noted Last night, uh, one of uh, his statements is one of the real problems that we face as a society right now is preferring the opinion of experts over common sense. Can I hear a second uh, to that motion? One of the real problems we face as a society right now is preferring the opinion of quote unquote experts over common sense. His uh, position is that everyone is an individual and that their character is the most important defining feature. And he's very bold and and, and very honest, I think, in his treatment of racism. He says, uh, yes, racism still exists, but so does liberty and justice for all. Each of us has the opportunity to choose which things we want to to emphasize. And uh, let, let me just, uh, there was another uh, one or two comments here I wanted to, I underlined in my book. By the way, <laughs> I don't know about you, do you underline in your books, uh, in your uh, Bibles, if you have them? I do. Now, I grew up, don't mark in your book, and especially don't mark in the Bible. Well, having gone through Associate in Arts, Bachelor of Arts, Master of Arts, and doctoral studies as well, I have been okay with doing a lot of underlining. And I do it in pencil. I do it in pencil, but I, it's, I, I just do that. I mark up my books. Now, by the way, I never loan out a book. Well, that's mean, Mike. No, I learned that the hard way. I have, uh, I have a book that was autographed by a friend of mine. And uh, he's a very famous uh, evangelist. And I loaned that book out once uh, to uh, someone who really wanted to read it. And I I gave it to her, and she never gave it back and moved away. And I've always uh, said, okay, that's it. First of all, you don't want to see my 
my markings in books. And second of all, I just don't loan out my books because I treasure them. Uh, Kevin Wood, as he was uh, coming to us as Abraham Lincoln, uh, Kevin talked about the fact how he values reading and values books just as Abraham Lincoln did. And I do too. I treasure books and I like the hard copy. I do digital for quick research, but I like the, I like the uh, hard copy in front of me. Here, here's another uh, quote again from Ben Carson's book, Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America. He says, accordingly, the best way to engender non-prejudicial speech and behavior in young people is to build up their self-esteem. When your self-image is good, there is no need to put someone else down. I love that. In fact, I'm going to read it again. The best way to engender non-prejudicial speech and behavior in young people is to build up their self-esteem. Because when your self-image is good, there is no need to put someone else down. Love it. Again, uh, if, if I can, I don't do this very often, but if, if I can just recommend this book to you so far, again, by Dr. Ben Carson, the pain, uh, Created Equal, Created Equal is the name, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America. I think one of the most important things, and, and uh, as a pastor, this is important to me, especially as I interact with pastors of other cultures, pastors of other ethnicities, it's important to listen. We don't do that well anymore. It is so important to listen and, and not to listen to uh, immediately uh, put up your defenses and provide a rebuttal, but just to listen and acknowledge, okay, that's I acknowledge that's your experience, and you and I grew up in different uh, families and in, in different cultures, perhaps, in different times, in different places, but I acknowledge this is what you've experienced. A lot can be learned about being curious about what other people with differences, no matter what they may be. They may be theological, doctrinal. They may be geographical. They may be uh, related to ethnicity. But it is so important to listen, and we don't do that anymore. And that's really the the cancel culture, is, and, and really I, I, I fault Marxism with that. Uh, opinions other than mine don't count. In fact, they need to be eliminated. That's the marks. That's the mark, no pun intended, of Marxism. And we need to stand up against that today. We need to stand up against that, announce what's true, and show grace to each other. Show grace to each other, listen to each other, so that we can learn from each other. doesn't mean we have to agree, but we do learn from each other when we hear points of view that may be opposite of our own, or that may be a point of view we haven't heard before. Can't happen unless we listen or we read perspectives that maybe don't agree with our own. I think that's so important. All right, we'll consider, we'll continue the conversation here on the Mike Douglas Show in three minutes uh, here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We'll be right back. Our phone number 209-551-3483. Again, back in three minutes. On air and online, take the Mike Douglas Show with you with the iHeartRadio app. Search 1360 KFIV. 
And welcome back to uh, as we plow through very quickly. It's time is flying today through the second hour of the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIV. Again, the first hour just an incredible conversation with Kevin Wood as he helped us understand President Abraham Lincoln. Be interested in your reactions to that. Our phone number two zero nine five five one three four eight three. Let's go to Stanislaus County. And Debbie, Debbie, welcome this Monday afternoon. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling in. What's on your mind today? Well, thank you for taking my call, and I'd like to address two issues. Number one, your first hour about Abraham Lincoln. I remember everything I learned in school. We never, ever had a good, decent education about any of the things that we should have been taught, and that goes back a ways. And I think if you look all the way back and remember and recall everything you learned, you'll admit the same thing. So I blame it on our educations. We were lacking dreadfully. And if we think we're lacking now, we were lacking then. That's number one. Number two, the next issue about Ben Carson. He's the most amazing person. I listen to everything I can hear about that man. He has an extremely amazing center core of himself. Do you kind of hear what I'm sharing with you? I, I agree with you 100%. Ben Carson has always, always just impressed me so much. His demeanor impresses me even as he was running. I mean, he took a lot of shots from people. Uh, metaphorically yeah, speaking, right? And and he weathered the storm. He has this really, and, and you consider what a brilliant man, this just a brilliant oh man, and, and his intellect, and yet the way that he just uh, has, has common sense. And uh, Debbie, I, I think getting back to your, your first comment there about education, I, I agree with you. I, I'm listening to uh, Kevin Wood there as, as he portrayed Abraham Lincoln. He's been doing that for over two decades. I, I heard things that I didn't learn in, in school. I think, unfortunately, we tend to get a very superficial education about our, our forefathers and those who helped uh, frame our nation. The only main thing that I learned about Abraham Lincoln, so help me God, was that he was assassinated. <laughs> well, we have yeah. cheated ourselves. We've cheated ourselves so desperately, it's unbelievable. Let's get to racism. I'm thinking that all the experience I had in Southern California, and by the way, I was there a long time, longer than you. And what I learned from the schools I went to for my high school is that the majority were black. But I'll tell you a little bit I learned about black people. They have in their families love and devotion to their families that we don't have. Something happened to us. I don't know what it was, and I don't even know when it was. But I don't think the Caucasians have been all that wonderful when I really, really go back and take it step by step by step. I I hope somebody understands what I'm trying to say. They just seem to have more... I don't know, more caring about their individual, just the way they hold their children. It's so different than what we do. We're very, we're sort of plastic in comparison. Am I making any sense at all? 
Yeah, and I think, uh, and Debbie, thanks for the call, by the way. Appreciate that very much. Some some good points and, and things to think about. Uh, Debbie, I, I think one of the uh, issues that I've learned as I've interacted with, with pastors from different cultures, as I've been invited to preach at congregations, for congregations, in front of congregations of different cultures, is that we need to respect the fact that there are differences in cultures. That's neither bad nor good. We just to acknowledge that there are differences. And in, in some cultures, the family unit uh, is, is a lot more significant than it is sometimes for our watered-down European uh, heritage. Now, in, I don't want to make a blanket statement. In, in my family, <clears throat> family is important. And uh, we've, we've even gone back uh, to Ireland and uh, been back to the, uh, traced back two or three generations. And I actually have a distant cousin there, still, still has uh, farming on, uh, on the acreage that the family had before some of the family came here to America. And so I think to us, family is very important. History is important. Uh, the, the influence of faith in family is very important. But I think a lot of that gets watered down for some reason in our culture. And I don't think it's just a, a Caucasian issue. I, I think it, it tends to be something that infiltrates our culture over time. Uh, you talk to uh, people from different cultures, uh, first generation, second generation, a little bit different, third generation, a little bit different than that. So I think there's a the melting pot of America is a great thing, Debbie. However, one of the dangers is that we can, when I say we, I'm going to speak multiculturally here. We, referring to all cultures, can lose a bit of our cultural heritage in that melting pot. I don't believe that we ought to adhere to cultural perspectives to the point of becoming isolated and saying, you you have to conform, whoever you are, to my culture. But I, I do believe that all of us bring cultural heritage into the mix, and we all need to think about how to balance preserving our cultural heritage with the dynamic of the melting pot that has become a trademark of the United States of America. And unfortunately, uh, our politicians and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, shrill voices have made it one, one way or the other, my way or the highway, and they've gone into uh, extremes, and, and that's been counterproductive. Uh, Debbie, good, good point. Uh, you, got us, uh, you got us thinking a little bit there, and that's always a good thing. Listening to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We'll be back in five minutes after news, weather, and some important information we'd like you to have. Back in five minutes. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you every weekday from 3 till 5. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Monday afternoon here in California's Central Valley. Our phone number 209 209- 
551-3483. Debbie and her call a couple of minutes ago brought, brought to my mind how important it is to listen to other folks and their perspectives that may be different from ours. Whether that those differences are political, whether they're cultural, uh, theological, denominational, whatever, it is so important to develop a curiosity about why other people with different perspectives believe the way they do, or to allow our stories to intersect with their stories. We are so quick to uh, to try to defend, to try to uh, form a rebuttal that, that we don't listen well. And I, I think this is part of, uh, again, we're talking about this book I'm reading, uh, just got it for Father's Day by Dr. Ben Carson, Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America. One of his comments there early on is the best way to engender non-prejudicial speech and behavior in young people is to build up their self-esteem. When your self-image is good, there is no need to put someone else down. How can we do that when we make victims out of people? How can we do that when we try to pigeonhole people into being subservient to the government, uh, to, to train them up from early on that they, they don't really have the power to survive or succeed on their own. They need government's help. No, government needs to get off their case and provide them with opportunities. That's what's needed in our culture, not to create a, a culture of victimhood. Again, the quote from Dr. Ben Carson, the best way to engender non-prejudicial speech and behavior in young people is to build up their self-esteem when your self-image is good. There is no need to put someone else down. And a Debbie's call a couple of minutes ago raised the question, in my mind, I'm curious, I'm curious, what have you learned? By listening to others or reading uh, others' opinions, uh, whose opinions or backgrounds, cultures, whatever it might be, is different from yours. What have you learned by listening to others who may have different backgrounds than you do? What 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 life lessons or what new perspectives have you learned? I, I've got a mountain of them. I'll maybe share one or two with you here in a couple of minutes. Our number two zero nine. Five five one three four eight three, and we'll really spawn this. Our is our discussion of Abraham Lincoln, and, and again, our thanks to Kevin Wood, who uh, just, what an amazing historian, and what an innovative way to educate people about Abraham Lincoln, other than to look at the original autograph uh, sources, uh, to look at the original documents, to look at uh, Abraham Lincoln's writings, not just what people wrote about him, not just acknowledge and and accept what someone's filters are about him, but to actually read some of those first-person writings, so important. Did a fantastic job the first hour of, uh, of helping us understand the man behind the legend of uh, Abraham Lincoln. And it, it gets me to, to thinking, as you look at how many obstacles and the gut-wrenching decisions that this man of history had to make. 
how how he struggled, and we heard some of that from uh, Mr. Wood as he portrayed Abraham Lincoln uh, for us. How he grappled with issues, and and you think of of the progression that he made through decisions, ma- making uh, choices. Is this about slavery? Is it about preserving the union? Is it about both? What priority? How do do those priorities conflict with each other? Does one outweigh the other? Uh, very interesting to uh, to hear that, and to come into that with an open mind and just listen to someone who has well researched the man of Abraham Lincoln. It was just a treasure that first hour. Again, I'm going to go back and and uh, listen to the recording of it myself to make sure I, I didn't miss anything in that first hour. Uh, by the way, and uh, again, we'd love to hear your perspectives, not only about our conversation with Abraham Lincoln, uh, but also your perspectives on what have you learned by listening to other people who are different from you different backgrounds, theologies, denominations, cultures, whatever it might be. Our number, 209-551-3483. How has that affected your worldview and your filters that you see life through? 209-551-3483. Speaking of filters, just a a quick note here. You probably want to filter mosquitoes out of your life, right? Well, those of you up in, uh, and we know many of our listeners are up in the San Joaquin County area, and we just so much appreciate you being part of the Mike Douglas Show. Remember, beginning tomorrow, June 21st, you can get free, if you have bodies of water that uh, gather mosquito larvae, uh, the uh, San Joaquin County Mosquito and Vector Control, Control District will be giving away mosquito fish. And tomorrow, uh, June 21st, it's in the city of Ripon from 9 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. at uh, the Ripon City Hall parking lot. That's at 259 North Wilma. And also uh, from at the city of Escalon from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's in the Hogan Park uh, parking lot at 15. 15- 1051 Escalon Avenue, again in Ripon from 9 to 10.30 a.m. in Escalon from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, if you need any of that information, again, why email me, Mike on 1360 at gmail.com. Mike on 1360 at gmail.com. I'll be happy to send you the information on that. And then later on the week, uh, uh, on the 22nd, they'll be in Stockton, on the 23rd, Manteca and Lathrop, and on the 24th in uh, Tracy and Lodi. Uh, again, they'll give you, I think uh, the limit is 15 mosquito fish. And those, those little dudes eat like 100 to 500, 150 to 500 mosquito larvae in a day. Just absolutely amazing. So anyway, uh, just a reminder for those of you in San Joaquin County that you can, uh, that you can take advantage of that. All right, taking a, a look at uh, some of the uh, other issues uh, that were that came to my radar screen today, and and this this comes back, and I, I'm wondering what Abraham Lincoln would think about the fact that we obviously today have a multi-layered judicial system. There are at least two sets of laws as 
it applies to enforcing the law and sentencing in the law, at least two, and I think you can probably make the argument for more than that. One is for the powerful and the affluent. One is for the narrative of the woke culture. And the other is for the rest of us who tend to have more conservative views and and such. And, and here's one of them that just uh, continues to mystify me, and that is why the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, continues to allow protests in front of the homes of Supreme Court justices. And then there's this piddly little uh, kind of a wink of an eye in terms of assigning, I don't know if they're at U.S. Marshals, whoever, law, anyway, federal law enforcement uh, personnel in the in the neighborhoods of uh, Supreme Court justices, but just this past weekend, there were illegal protests taking in uh, place in front of the home of Justice Amy Coney Barrett. The and we know that because these people put themselves on Twitter in front of her house. Uh, this I think came from Saturday, the eighteenth. Rise up for abortion rights. Rise up for the the numeral four abortion rights. Um, at about eleven thirty five, I believe on Saturday, posted this. Just arrived at Amy Coney Barrett's house, dropping off babies, reenacting the American nightmare of forcing girls to give birth against their will. Headed to the Supreme Court. Meet us there. And then at twelve thirty eight. 15-year-old Ariana, uh, who organized a baby doll procession, spoke on Twitter, I think it was, in front of Amy Comey Barrett's house. Now, why weren't these young ladies arrested? They're violating the law. What law, Mike? You know the law. Chapter 18, USC, Chapter 18, subsection 1507, picketing or parading. Uh What does it say? It says, whoever with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influencing any judge, juror, witness, or court officer in the discharge of his duty, pickets or parades in or near a building housing a court of the United States, or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such a judge, juror, witness, or court officer, or with such intent uses any sound truck or similar device or resorts to any other demonstration in or near any such building or residence shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year or both. So how come the attorney general is not enforcing the law? Now listen to this Ariana young lady. This is out in front of Amy Coney Barrett's house. We are here at Justice Amy Coney Barrett's house today with our arms tied, with our mouths covered, holding dolls because this is what Amy's America looks like. Children will be forced to give birth to children. Women will be silenced. Women will be invalidated. Women will be told they are less than. Women will be told they are inferior. And that is not okay. We cannot let that happen. So all of you who say you are pro-choice, get up and say it out loud. Get up, take to the streets and stay. 
because you cannot let this happen to your sisters, to your daughters, to your mothers. You can't let this future happen to us. It's not fair. Rise up for abortion All right, so they're in front of Amy Comey Barrett's house, a uh, justice of the United States, violating, we just read the section, uh, chapter uh, 18, uh, USC, subsection 1507. Well, Merrick Garland, what about it? You see, there's, there's not justice for all, is there? Because if you don't fit the power people, if you don't fit their paradigm, if you don't agree with them, if you're not aligned with those in power and control with the money, then people who break the law and victimize you don't get prosecuted, don't even get arrested. It's a two-tiered system, probably even more. All right, think about that. Our phone number, 209-551-3483. Come on, Garland, do something about it. Show that you believe in justice for all. Show that you believe in the rule of law in the United States of America, Mr. Attorney General. Step up to the plate and do your job. I'll be back in three minutes. 209-551-3483 as the Mike Douglas Show continues here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to The Mike Douglas Show, the voice of the Valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show here on this Monday afternoon here in California's Central Valley. Our telephone number 209-551-3483. 209-551-3483. Having an opportunity to react to an absolutely fascinating and incredible first hour as we uh, talked with uh, President Abraham Lincoln uh, through the expertise of Mr. Kevin Wood. And just an absolutely fascinating time. I learned things about Abraham Lincoln that uh, I did not know. And I so much appreciate uh, Kevin coming on to the program today and, and giving us the benefit of, uh, of his research. Thank him so much uh, for that. And it brings to mind, I, I just wonder what Abraham Lincoln would think today about the inability of our federal government to act with integrity. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of integrity. And, and he struggled with issues. We talked about uh, that very, very important relationship that he developed with Frederick Douglass and, and how that helped him understand viewpoints that he didn't have before and how that applies today. But you see, today we're regressing, don't you think? Today, we, we can't sit down and, and have civil conversations and, and not to yell at each other and tear each other down and instead of sitting down and, and hearing each other out. And again, it's not a, a matter to me, in my mind, of, of saying, well, I'm going to agree with you, so I'm going to listen to you. No, it's a matter of, well, tell me your story. Allow my story to integrate with your story, to intersect with it. And maybe we can both learn something from each other. Uh, I learned a lot uh, in, in just uh, as a vocational pastor from sitting down with uh, some of my black pastor friends. 
And uh, I learned things from uh, one fellow pastor. Uh, he grew up in the L.A. area, and he, he was legitimately, legitimately jacked up by LAPD and, and by Fresno police later. And I needed to hear his story. Needed to hear his story. Uh, not too long ago, we were at a, a reunion for my wife's uh, eighth grade uh, class uh, down in uh, Pasadena, California. And uh, the man that was organizing it is, uh, is Chinese. And I, he and I went to the same high school, uh, w- which was very multi-ethnic. In fact, at the time, they, uh, they bust people in from other areas who were white because they needed to raise the Caucasian ratio at the school. It was very uh, multi-ethnic school. And, but what I learned uh, surprised me, that, and that was that he had troubles at that school uh, being Chinese, and it, it wasn't just from Caucasians, but from uh, other ethnicities as well. Uh, he, he had some difficulties uh, with, with his culture, uh, integrating into the mix there. And, and so it's important that we hear each other's stories. It's important that uh, we hear each other out. And unfortunately, in, in today's world, there's not a, a whole lot of that. And we do our best here on the Mike Douglas Show, to, to offer that opportunity. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have a different perspective, we want to hear it. We, I often learn from you. Sometimes I discover new things from you that I didn't know. And that's why we throw the phone number out with great consistency, 209-551-3483, because your perspectives are important, not just to me, but to the other listeners as well. And it's, uh, it's a place where I guarantee you're going, to be, uh, you're going to be treated with respect. Now, we have to be concise because there are certain marks. You know, God's time is eternal, but in radio, it's not. And so I have certain marks I have to hit. And so we need to cut some of those conversations short. But it's uh, very, very uh, important that we open up the dialogue and listen to each other and listen to perspectives that that we may not, uh, we may not share, but we learn from each other. Again, I want to come back to a, a quote from Ben Carson's, Dr. Ben Carson's uh, new book. The, and, and this speaks to education. This speaks to, instead of teaching kindergarten and first graders, second graders, third graders, that they're not really a boy, they're not really a girl, and and advocating that they think about being the other gender and then explaining to them how they can do that without the permission of the parents. How about we teach them this from Dr. Best Ben Carson? The best way to engender non-prejudicial speech and behavior in young people is to build up their self-esteem. When your self-image is good, there is no need to put someone else down. Amen to that. Amen and amen. Well, thanks for joining me today on a really cool show on The Mike Douglas Show. I'll look forward to joining you tomorrow at 3 here on The Mike Douglas Show. Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.